Welcome to What Is It All For, a podcast designed to help you grow your online business and pursue a spacious, satisfying life at the same time. We're your hosts, Jason and Caroline Zook, and we run Wandering Aimfully, an unboring business coaching program. Every week, we bring you advice and conversations to return you to your most intentional self and to help you examine every aspect of your life and business by asking, what is it all for? Thanks for listening, and now let's get into the show. And I'm here too. (laughs) Hey. Hi. Hello. Welcome (laughs) to what is it all for? What is it all for? Oh, man. Man. I mean, Woman, person. Just say man is like the expression, but not realizing we need to be more inclusive when I say that, you know? It's like oh, guys. Oh, you mean when you say... We're like, hey, guys. It's like, that's for everybody, not just for... Friends. Male hey, people. Hey, friends. Or yeah. like... A lot of things we're just trying to sort yeah, through. Yeah, that... What else can we say for the one that's like, man? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. It, it is kind of interesting, though, because like, I mean... You know, men are the problem, you know, for being honest. So you're like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> it kind of kinda truthful. Okay, anyway, let's kidding. move on. Gosh. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Aaron who left a review. And I'm not going to read the whole review of our podcast, but we've been asking recently for some more reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, specifically. and you guys have been delivering. Oh, this has been, this is great. You're uh, not going to read the whole thing. I'm right? not going to read the whole thing, but uh, I just wanted to re- read the, uh, her, she wrote a few key points, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. And her second key point was, the banter in the beginning was my biggest obstacle when I started <laughs> listening, and now it's my favorite part. Yes, converted. It gives, it gives me time to settle into the brain space to listen about their business topics, and I feel more connected and engaged with them. I love that. Wow. Also, we oh, get it. Is, uh, For some of you, some of you are going to be more like cut to the chase type of people. Come on, in, just in get which to case, the good stuff. You that's know, fine. That's saying, yeah. hit, that, hit that little 15-second... Uh, until it sounds like we're not until being silly. It, yeah, until it sounds like we've stopped completely yeah. laughing. Um, but there's others of you that love a good meandering tangent before yeah. you want to settle in, like Aaron said. So we hope that um, the preamble, the preamble, if you will, yeah. serves the needs of you, whatever type of listening style you have. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think you're pulling on the wire a little bit. I'm just okay. watching it get uh, uh-huh. just... And how did that make you feel? Not good. Nervous? Not good, yeah. yeah. I got to keep an eye on your mic because you just never that know what you're going to get into. like a euphemism. <laughs> I bet you want to keep an eye on my mic. Okay. Whoa, okay. 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 Hey. Got real sweaty real fast. Uh, so anyway, just want to say thank you to Aaron, but also those of you who are leaving reviews. Uh, we really appreciate them. Also, oh, one quick thing about Aaron's review. Now, did she mention at the end of her review... Just how happy she was with the podcast. Oh, she did? Yeah. Maybe did she say something about being a cinnamon loller? Yeah, but we went over this last episode. No, There's no controversy. What that... we went over is that everyone just gets to choose whatever they want to be. Well, of course. That's just life in because general. Because I will not concede. <laughs> to being a cinnamon roller. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, but Lola cinnamon rollers for life. For, the number four, L-Y-F-E, for life. It's one word. Okay. All right, so we got a couple preamble topics we wanted to discuss. Nope, just one. Nope, I have another one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have another one. Um, as I was eating a lemon poppy seed muffin this morning, uh-huh. because, you know, I do a pastry before we record at all times. This was a little tiny gluten-free one we got from the grocery store. I didn't make pastries. it. You got to, 100%. Um, I remembered the discussion we had. I think we were driving. Yeah, we were driving. Okay. And I wanted to bring it up here because I think a lot of people would really like to go down memory lane. Okay. This is about CDs in your car. Uh-huh. 
And yeah. we were talking about, like, were you the folio person with, like, the four The four CD? wide. The, the four wide, yeah. The, you know what we're talking about, the right? The zipper, backs, yep. the zipper CD yeah. uh, Holder. book. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And now my brother yeah. was, for, he was four years older than me, so obviously, like, of the cooler. era. Cooler. Yeah. The era of CDs and also just had more disposable income. True. To had buy a job. CDs. Yeah. Um, by the time CDs were, like, coming out, I, I think I was, like, in fifth grade was my first CD or fourth grade, whatever. Amazing. And so I was really accumulating. CDs very slowly at the rate of birthdays and Christmases. Yeah. So I didn't have enough for like a four wide folio. I just started out with like a little case logic. Just like book. a one, one, a one single, wide, a single. But they still had front and back, which was such a great move by the oh, creators great, of those great things. Great idea. Yeah. They probably, like, I could imagine them being in the factory. And yeah. It's like, hey, Jim, come over here, look at this. You put what one we, CD, yeah. and he's like, Larry, Larry, just real quick, put another pocket on the back. Mm -hmm. He's like, Whoa, we could double it. A well, 24 becomes a 48. Yeah, and you know who the originators of that idea were? What's that? Do you remember the page protectors that you would put in your binder notebooks of school? And you would put a front-facing page, and then you flip it over, and then you'd put, you'd reverse the page, and then you'd slide it in. So it's two pages in the same use, page protector. I did not use that. Okay. You know what I did use, What'd though? Use? Was the plastic with the plastic thing you slid down the side to, like, hold it in place. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And it was like you, the... Like, would Bind like bind a paper. It, but it was just like one, that plastic strip. We have them. They're kind of like our Ziplocs that we have that are not Ziplocs. Oh, it's like, it, I forget oh that that's God, what that was. so satisfying. Anyway, we also wanted to discuss, so we have your, your CD folio in your car. Sure. You have all your CDs. You were a four wide? Oh, 100% four wide. But I went like one step brother. further because I'm very organized. Of course. Mine was alphabetized. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah. And I said, of course you did. And then I said, now what happens when you get a new entry? You got to reshuffle. And you get a lot of satisfaction. You got to shuffle. So what you do shuffle. is you go all the way to the end and you move everything one step forward until you know where it needs to go. Why now? Why the end? Why not the beginning? Well, because you got to have the one space forward at the end where the CDs move to. You got one CD moving. Oh, I see what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Pretty big deal. So then, so there was the uh, buying all the CDs and having the folio. There of was course. that stage yeah. of life. Now, where did you keep the hard cases? That's the real question. Oh, the actual like. Yeah. Did oh, we at throw home? those away? No, no, no. At home. Yeah. Also alphabetized. Which is just. Real ridiculous. Stupid. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Now, did you? Oh, I had a. So because I grew up early '80s, uh -huh. I had a. I had cassettes first. Oh yeah, which, we had a. Yeah. An entire. We had in our living room a like. Like an organizer sort of, for the cassettes. But like a cassette. That's exactly yes, what I was going to yes, say. Yes. I had one that rotated. Okay. So good. All so right. Good. Anyway, uh, so go through the phase of cassette to CD uh -huh. to burned cds yeah we were talking about this like, is a great now did you next to your desktop probably gateway or dell computer yeah or have, compact or compact yeah. at all times have just a one of those little stacks of the cdrs, CDRs yeah with... or cdrw if you were real fancy no, I didn't, those were I didn't re, those difference. were rewritable okay. so you had the like you could write on it once oh, or you could then could, rewrite and they're it. more expensive no oh, we yeah, definitely had sure. the cheaper the writables yeah most um, of us did and then we talked about my mom had a real, first of all, my mom could not move on from the cassette era because she had a lot, she was not going to rebuy. Some cost bias. Some cost, cost bias. bias. <laughs> so what she did was we had these portable cassette, they were like these zipper pouches, a, like a sleeve, like a cracker sleeve of cassettes yeah. that were probably 20 cassettes. Yeah. And she would keep them, store them 
in the back seat underneath the front seats. Right. And so, like, I can remember so many times, like, driving home from the mall, and my mom has got to get to the Celine Dion of course, cassette. Of course. And she's, like, reaching behind. We're, like, in interstate traffic. <laughs> this she's is reaching behind. And, driving. and she's, like, trying to get to yeah. the third from the right, the, the dark gray one, not right, the black right, one, right, right. because that has Celine. Right. I don't know what the organizi- organization. She had a method. Maybe we can't find Celine. Maybe we come across Tony Braxton, or and Whitney. we're, like, close Whitney. enough. Whitney. Or Whitney. 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 Yep. And so we pop that little baby in. And then, oh, and we also talked about the um, the six-disc changer. changers oh, in the that car. Was and that was deal. such an upgrade. Oh, man. So much CD history in so our lives. So uh, Just like all the different stages. So anyway, all that to say, uh, were you a CD folio person with like a four wide? Or were you like Caroline and you had the visor? I didn't CDs? have the visor. I didn't have the visor. Oh, I thought you did. No, I um, just wanted to see if you... You wanted to buy... Oh, you, oh yeah. There's I no way. I wanted to see if you had one. That's I didn't have clutter. One. I could not deal with that. I think that's why I ultimately didn't as well. But it is safer when you think about it. Just being able to slide Probably from instead your of visor. like leafing through a book of 128 CDs. Yeah, and then CDs. I remember one year for like Christmas or whatever, my mom bought me these like hardbound ones. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, just yeah. for the car so yeah. they could just like Rustle bounce around. around. Yeah. Because the like slightly plastic one didn't protect them. I think it did just fine. I think it did too. Yeah. Guaranteed my mom has like hardbound things still, still, still in a box in yeah. her house. Absolutely. And is like, all, all our moms do. All our moms do. Okay, so that's preamble part one. Now so, we have part two. Yeah, part two I wrote down was, I don't think we've talked about this yet, but we decided to take a break from social media for basically what will amount to April and May. Yeah. And we finally, well, we just sort of like backed away. And then Jason was like, you should probably let people know, especially because we had this influx of like a thousand new followers. And so typical to our, like the way that we run our business is like, cool. Most people would be like, oh, I just got all these new followers. Like I got to like, Keep the content keep the going. Content. And yeah. the thing was, the way the timing worked out, like, we really were just stretched in. And we were like, yeah, no, it's fine. Some of them will leave because we don't have fresh content for them. And that's okay. And that's just how we choose to run our business. So we did put up a post, though, and said kind of why we're stepping back. We're focusing on some other projects that we really want to make progress on. And um, it was so funny. When I did this, in the same day, I saw both a YouTube video and, like, an Instagram story from someone. And they both... And the same day used the same terminology where they were talking about the pressure of social media. Mm. And I think if I say this to you, it probably makes, listener, it probably makes sense, right? You're like, yeah, the the platform really puts pressure on you to post regularly. You and gotta it really, keep algorithm and happy. It, you gotta keep Al, space, algorithm happy. And it really, like the person who I'm referring to was talking about how this really is a negative incentive for creators and how it burns them out and blah, blah, blah. And I had an interesting reaction to this, which was, I just thought was worth sharing in the preamble, which was, I was like, both of these people are very much talking about the pressure of social media. I don't want to say like the victim, but I'm, but like they have no control over it. Right. Like it's these platforms and they engineer them to put pressure on us. And that is true. I'm not trying to take away the truth of that, but the reaction and I guess the response that I want to share to the discourse is... Yes, the platforms are geared to try and incentivize us to post as much as possible. And yes, if you purely play into that, you run the risk of burning out. But I want us to always remember that we have control over our decisions to have an awareness of that and choose to buy into it or not. Yeah. And like, I just want us to kind of take the power back. And and so it just reminded me of us 
It's like, yeah, we just got all these new followers and yeah, Instagram is going to dock us for not feeding new content to those people. But we ultimately as the human beings in the equation have the choice to say, I choose not to allow that pressure to guide my behavior. Yeah, I wrote in the social media detox post, which is now coming up on seven years Crazy. since I wrote that, uh, control how you use the platforms, don't let them control you. Right. And it's such an important thing to always remember of, we get on these hamster wheels of, okay, I gotta post three times a week, I gotta post five times a week, now I gotta do a story, now I gotta do a reel, now, you know, whatever it is. And you're, you're letting the platform control and dictate your decisions, which then leads to all the other things in your business that are probably more important getting left behind because you're trying to keep up and it's taking so much energy and all those things. And I do think it's such a great reminder, A, Definitely take a social media detox if you have not done it. And I've said this for years. If you're the type of person who goes, ooh, I really don't think I can, then you probably need, need it. it the most. Yeah, and it's just a way to kind of take the control back, kind of rip that Band-Aid off, experience the discomfort of not posting every day or not feeding the algorithm or whatever, realizing that the world doesn't fall apart when you're gone. Yeah. And you become that much more empowered because now you're not coming from this place of sort of desperation to keep up with the algorithm and you feel like you have more of a choice in the matter. Yeah. And I guess that's all I wanted to share is just because I heard both of these people talking about it in the same way of like, oh, you know, the pressure of social media and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but you choose whether you allow that pressure to guide your decisions or not. I'm yeah. not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that when you're at the beginning of your, of your business and you have very little leverage, it can feel like you don't have control because you need these free platforms in order to get, but Always remember there are choices. Always yeah. remember, you know, you can choose to set your business up in a way. You can choose to, you know, pour more attention into your articles to try to get more of an email audience. Like there are always different avenues. And I don't want us to get to this place where we think we have to be on social media if it's not serving us and if it's hurting our mental health. Yeah. Like it, it was positioned very much of like, well, I'm burning out, but I got to feed the out. It. And it's yeah. like. No. Yeah. And I, I do think that like acknowledging our place of privilege where we really don't need Instagram or social media to run our business because we have a really good flow that we figured out, which we invested in years ago, but there's also a bunch of other privileges there to acknowledge. But I think the point is for us to to talk about and acknowledge with that is that if you start early on taking breaks and doing those things, you're building good habits. Yeah. You're building a good routine with using these platforms. So if you start out and you're like, okay, uh, you know, I'm gonna work for four weeks on Instagram and then I'm gonna take one week off. Or at the very least, I'm gonna take off weekends when I'm getting started mm -hmm. and I'm gonna work throughout the week. And if that's what you need to do to feel like you're making moves happen and you're building momentum and you're putting a plan together, then by all means, please do that. But just make sure that there's good habits being mm -hmm. built. And I think that's the thing that we really wanna harp on here because I feel like we have really good habits, but it has taken years to develop those good habits and break the bad habits that we got into. Yeah, and I just wanna add a caveat to that, which is instead of good habits, because I think that makes it sound like there's an objective good and bad, True. intentional habits. Yeah. So to me, the word intentional just means for you and your goals and your values, you're thinking about the choices you're making. You're having an awareness of, of you know, that you do have the power to make a choice and that's not for us to decide what a good habit or a bad habit is. It's just an intentional habit for you. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. Let's get that's into the preamble. That was like sort of like, mm, it was like, it was like sort of preamble. Yeah. Preamble is usually silly, but then that had like a message to it, it as well. It um, if you want to, by the way, a dear listener, if you have not listened, we did a full episode on kind of how we think about social media and our kind of different take on it. Um, it's probably about 30 episodes or so ago now, so you can go back and find it. 
Um, that was a one that we got a lot of good feedback on. So if you want more social media discussion, check that episode out. Now on to the episode. And I hold totally... on. I don't want to talk about this topic with you. <laughs> good one, babe. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I forgot what this episode was about. And now I'm looking at the notes and I'm like, oh, is this going to be juicy? Yeah. You think so? Hot goss. Hot goss right Different now. Different than Ryan Goss. Gosling, who hot. is a hot goss. Yeah. Uh, we thought it would be kind of an interesting episode to talk about um, how we argue, how we disagree. Now, I very, very, very important disclaimer that I would like to say at the top of this episode. Yeah. We are not relationship experts. Well, I play one on a we, podcast. Yeah. We do not have a perfect relationship. Do not, we are not hashtag couple goals. goals. Yeah. We are, and we have not even, full disclosure, we've not even been to couples therapy. Um, so we can't even impart that experience upon you. Um, I would highly recommend it. We will, I'm sure go at some point. Like yeah. I think it's a great idea, but we, so I, all of that is to say, understand that when we share this with you, it is just our experience. Do not take what we say as gospel to use in your own marriage and or relationship. Um, I just think it's really interesting to glean ways that certain people like I think interpersonal communication is really hard yeah regardless of whether it's with a spouse or not a friendship a family member like anything where you're having to compromise and or you know navigate someone else's emotional needs with your own that is hard and I don't think we talk enough about like the tactical ways in which we can get better at that yeah. or or things that we have developed over time that have allowed us to better navigate that so that's can what I, I bring up about. one thing about the couple's therapy yeah quick. um one of the reasons why I think, because many people might be listening to this and they're like, well, why haven't you gone to couples therapy? And sure. I'd love to address that. I think, and I can only speak on our relationship and then the previous relationships that we've been in's behalf, is that couples therapy to me is where you basically need a mediator between the two of you when you're at an impasse and you can't meet and like figure out how to get through something. And I think for us, and again, this is just for us just speaking on our experience now that we've been together for 11 years, there's only been a couple times in 11 years when we've really been in that impasse, but then we've worked through it. And, yeah. we, and you have a lot more emotional tools than I do, obviously. I have like the practical tools. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that actually creates a good balance because we figure out a way together, the way that we both operate, to work through some of those things. Yeah, I just want to say, I don't think that the i have a little bit of a different be careful is, over there sure this is great because we're disagreeing yeah <laughs> only slightly i have a little bit of a different view on it which is that i know that that's how you view couples therapy which is why we talk through it every time i'm like listen do we think we're at the point where we want to go and work on this or whatever and we kind of talk through that um which is why i'm almost 100 percent certain that at some point we yeah. will do that um because i think we will find ourselves in some of those places where we need that third party I don't think that's the only reason to go. No, no. I wasn't saying it was the only reason. I was saying that I think that's the main reason. I also do think it's an investment in the future of your relationship exactly. as well. Yeah, that's I was I just saying that like I think a lot of times when that becomes the decision that that needs to be made maybe in a relationship, it's like that's the thing. Uh, I think for us that's the reason why we've put it off. So if someone was asking us like, why haven't you gone? Because yeah. we haven't gotten to an impasse yeah. that we can't get through. But we know that we want to make sure that we're – 
you know, having someone else involved in conversations, especially as like kids start to come into the picture, like that's a whole different ball of wax. Even though we have so much great parenting advice that we can pass along as non-parents, there's so much. Uh, I read chicken soup for the soul when I was younger. For the parent's soul and the child's soul and the teenager's soul. I just so I'm like really well versed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, caveats Um, out of the way. Yeah, so I think yeah, that's a good point of because probably people listening are like, well, why haven't you? So that answers that question, Um, and I do just like believe in being able to have some objective party outside of yourself understand what's really going on because so many disagreements or so many times when we found ourselves in like a moment of friction there's always something deeper going on and you have to have a desire to find out what that is in order to work through it um so wait I have so many notes I don't even know where to start we did all the caveats um okay let's start here okay we unintentionally um kind of developed these like what I would call rules of engagement for Mm -hmm. our disagreements and I thought it'd be fun to talk about what some of those are again every couple is different every person is different and how they operate these are the ones that everyone needs to use (laughs) use these rules objectively Uh, yeah but so you know through this whole episode take what serves you and then just like leave what doesn't yeah um I just really careful about all of this because I Every relationship is so different, and I don't think it's helpful to judge people's relationships. But anyway, um, okay, so our rules of engagement for, like, when we disagree. Number one for both of us is not raising our voices. Yeah. In the 11 years that we have been together, we've never yelled at each other. And I would say we've, like, quote-unquote raised our voice one time that I can think of. Ooh, what's your... My one time is in Florida. Okay, well, then my one time is here, so it was two times. Oh, interesting. So I can't re- I can't actually remember the specific time in Florida. I'm interested to know if the time that you remember is when you raised your voice or when I did. Ooh. Because I, I can't actually because remember. Because I remember when I raised my voice because that's how, like... Because I remember the feeling of, like, being ashamed of it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? No, I don't have a recollection of either one of us raising our voice. I just think I remember getting frustrated in the kitchen in Florida about something. And it was like one of the few times when like we were more I emotional. I know exactly the talk that you're talking about. I sat on the counter. Yeah. What was yeah. it? Oh, I don't know what it was about. Oh, okay. I just uh, remember the. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like there was just something that like yeah. really got us both heated. Yeah. And then yeah, I don't remember what it was. But so isn't that's, that funny? that's one. That's... I know. And then I I think the one was I think we were actually somehow talking about something tea tree adjacent. Remember it was like we got really frustrated with each other and I think I raised my voice at you. Either I was in the bedroom or I was right here. And then remember we tried to walk to the beach after <laughs> and we were like, that didn't go well. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, I, but... I, I think the point there is the careful the the rule of engagement. Uh, number one rule is no yelling. And yep. And I think for that stems for us. Hopefully, I can talk about this. If not, you're gonna tell me this part out. Is that we both grew up with parents who yelled. Yeah, and and not like you know all the time, but for me personally, we both grew up with you know parents of divorce. Yeah, and so I think there was tension, like there was a scarcity of resources, there yep. wasn't a lot of money, and so you know there were times where if people got upset in the house, they would raise their voice, and I just remember always that sticks with you as a kid. Absolutely, and so you and I. I can't remember having this explicit conversation, but I just think early on when we would disagree, we noticed that we weren't doing it. And then we just were like, yeah, we don't yell at each other. Like that's not, so it's a respect thing for us. It's also just a practical thing because 
in a disagreement, I think the goal is to de-escalate, not escalate. So I, so we're always kind of aware of that. Where is the tone going? Where is the, the feeling going? Is it going to a place where emotion is getting the better of both of us? Because once that happens, you're not really communicating at that right. point. You're operating on like an, in, in like an activated state and you're just, usually that's where defensiveness comes in. That's where you say things that you don't mean because yeah. you're throwing daggers because you're just backed into a corner. And so it never goes well. Yeah. So, uh, also I like to keep my resting heart rate at like around the <laughs> mid fifties. So if we start that? yelling, I, it goes up to like 60 or 70 or 80 or maybe even yeah. higher. I can't do it. It'll yeah. ruin my streak of my resting heart rate. So yeah. just some levity. So that helps. We don't, we don't swear. Like we don't call each other names. Yeah, when we argue, we almost never swear. But in normal daily life, oh, we, we swear, swear like sw- all the sailors. Time. Yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely am very intentional when we're in a disagreement. For some reason, I like to use the word disagreement more than argument because I feel like argument has more of a negative connotation. Whoa. Well, I know. Lights our, flickering. Yeah. yeah, argument to me is more like someone's trying to be right versus right. disagreement is just like you're in kind of a standoff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very intentional in thinking about that of like, Yes, I'm upset. Yes, maybe my feelings are hurt, but I'm not going to swear in that moment to like add more emphasis on it. Yeah, which goes back to the previous point about emotion and de-escalation. Almost always, if you're going to swear, it's an escalation rather than a de-escalation. Right. Um, And then another one for us, and this is one that I feel like is pretty um, unique to everyone's situations, but for us, it's no as we say, leaving the table. Yeah. So we like to stay engaged in the conversation until there's closure for both people. I know not everyone's like that. I know sometimes couples need like even hours away from it, like to cool off or to whatever. I'm not here to say whether that's good or bad. Um, Again, not a licensed therapist, not a couples expert. This is just what works for us. But we really like kind of staying in it and talking through it until we arrive at a place where both people feel like we we got somewhere. Yeah, and there have definitely been times where sitting at the table, which we don't actually sit at a table when we argue, um, there is a break. There is time. There is like one of us will go for a walk or whatever. But I will say that that's actually much farther and fewer between than the we're having a disagreement, we're working it out, there may be some silence, but then we really try and come back together and figure out what's going on. Um, and I think that, that that rule of engagement is maybe easier said than done is the best way to describe it. But I think it's one of the most helpful because, I mean, f- we really, really, really try to never go to bed like upset with one another. Yeah. And I think that that's something very early on in our relationship that we actually did talk about when we would get into disagreements and what have you. And I think that's been a very healthy thing over the yeah, years. Yeah, I think people are very either or on that because I've heard that advice and the opposite of yeah. it where people are like oh people say don't go to bed yeah. sometimes I need to go to bed you know yeah, yeah. And, and, um, so mean, it's very unique to you totally. we're just sharing again just to give you a peek behind the curtain of like how it works for us um, and also I think to your point if there is a point where we both feel like for whatever reason de-escalation is not working we need some time to like cool off or just you know, remove the emotion from it, at least we're communicating that. So it's not like you're just up and leaving. Like you're not just like, I remember early on Kristen Bell and Dax were talking about this, how like early in their relationship, Kristen Bell said like, I would just like leave and like drive around and my, like just, you know, and I got into this pattern. And so for us, that's the thing to avoid is not to just like leave and leave the other person high and dry. I think for me subconsciously, that is one way that we have established so much trust in our relationship because to me that speaks volumes to about you is 
I, I have so much confidence in our bond because I'm like, he is always in the trenches with me. They're ready to figure it out. Even if we're at like a standstill, even if we're at like a stalemate, he'll just keep, he'll stay in like the arena for the a lack of a better term with me. And I feel like when you zoom the lens out to a marriage, that gives me so much trust in our longevity because I'm like, he'll, he'll be there to like work it out, whatever it is, you know? He has no marriage. It's like a gladiatorial arena. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, you got... that says something about. <laughs> oh, I had a, a thought that just popped in my mind while you were saying that. that I, it just is no apropos to anything. Yeah. So we've been together for 11 years. There's 365 days in a year. That's about 40,000 days we've been together. Whoa. Yeah. How many disagreements do you think we've had in 40,000 days? What do you think the number is? Obviously, there's absolutely no way to know. But just, I'd be curious. Let's actually okay, at, the let's same time. at the same time. Okay, yeah, yeah. wait, give me a second. Okay. Okay, okay give me a second. Now, disagreements, I'm going to say, could be of any like any level, but it has to be like more of an emotional disagreement. Not okay, just like... Okay, do you mean like, to me, a disagreement means like, you know the feeling, where yeah. we sit down and we yeah, talk, yeah, yeah. And, we, yeah. and we're, we're yeah. like, oh, we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. 40,000 days? Yeah. I had a number, but it just seems so... All right, count uh, three. One, two... two. Three, four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. That I'm dying. That is amazing. I'm dying. hundred fifty. <laughs> Wait, is that really dumb? <laughs> okay, think, this is what I think you about. You think in eleven years? This is what I think about. Okay, wait. That's I, I amazing. Should have done the math That's better, amazing. But I think about it like every month. I think we probably have three really serious relationship conversations. Okay. Okay, so how many so months have we did get together? In eleven years times twelve, it's basically like one hundred and forty-four. Oh, okay, so I was I undercut it by a third. Yeah. So what's one hundred and fifty times three? Four hundred and fifty. Okay, my new answer. I'm just bad at math. To be frank. I said four thousand. I went four thousand a ten percent of the days. <laughs> I went way too high. That's so high. <laughs> I also my first number when I was saying all this to you was ten thousand. <laughs> And I thought, I should probably cut that in half. That's too high. You guys should listen to the relationship (laughs) episode where they admit that they are fighting for for 20% of their relationship. Uh, Okay, what we've learned is that we're just both bad at math. That's so fun. It's somewhere in between those two. Absolutely. Okay, that was a fun game. Um, Oh, sorry, we're still on the rules of engagement. One last one that we try not to do. So we have no yelling, no No swearing, no swearing, no name calling, stay at the table. And then the last one I would say is um, like no throwing past things in people's faces. Mm, Yeah. And it's impossible to never bring up like past context, I think, especially if like, you know, I'm feeling a certain way and I'm like, well, you know, part of the reason I feel this way is because there's a pattern of this happening when, when X, Y, and Z happen, whatever. That's how we kind of bring up past things, but not like... Um, Do you remember when you did this? Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. Yeah. Like not using the past as a weapon, using it as context. The good news for you is that my short-term memory and long-term memory is like not amazing. So I just forget the things that you've done. So I can't actually recall yeah, them to throw exactly. them at you. I'm picturing the angel emoji and it's me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or me. <laughs> Babe, four. <laughs> almost you almost said ten thousand. I That's almost twenty five percent of our waking time sometimes together is spent. Sometimes it feels that it way. Yeah. I'm spinning. Okay. I wish the fan was on. I'm so Guys, hot. Think of your percentage yeah. in your mind. Okay, so an important thing that I think that we've developed over time for arguing is also 
each of us um, individually having a self-awareness for how we show up in confrontation Mm -hmm. and like learning what our patterns are for that. So for me, I think we, we can speak to both of these, but like for me personally, I know that something that I have a habit of doing is when I am, when we're in a tense conversation, I will shut down. Yeah. So like you'll say something that's hard for me to hear and I do it for a couple reasons. One, I'm trying not, like I'm trying to filter my first reaction, which is always going to be defensive. It's always going to be, well, you know, like let's just make up an example. You're telling me that you feel like I have been unappreciative, let's okay. say. And my first, my first instinct is to feel hurt from that because I'm like, what? Like, I have been trying so hard to show my appreciation, you know? So that's always where you go to is like, yeah. they're not noticing this or whatever. And so rather than say, what? No, you know, kind of like go right back. I shut down because I'm trying to choose my words carefully. So, but the problem is that it just kind of reads, I think, as like icing you out a little bit. Right. This is something that I have, this is some feedback that I have received from <laughs> not just Jason, but past boyfriends as well. So what I'm trying to do is when I find myself in that instinct of going quiet, I just try to realize that that's not helping the situation. Or I try to communicate and say something like, I'm, I'm not saying much right now because I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Yeah, like that's what I'll say. So that yeah. you know that I'm not like tapping out of the conversation. Right. I'm not leaving the table. I'm not ignoring. I'm not avoiding. I'm just, I'm processing. Yeah. And I think it's helpful from the other side of that too, because when the person shuts down, it, it actually taps into my thing. Yes, exactly. Which is like abandonment. Yeah. Like, which is like, I, well, and I, I always feel like I'm wrong. Like yeah. I always feel like I've done something wrong or that like I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. And that, that is something that like, it triggers that for right. me. So it's like, it's like, like, it's like, it's like, like a cascading. no, I'm just disappointed in you. It's yeah. that type of silence that you're feeling and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. And so it, it is a really interesting, like kind of uh, domino effect is what I was looking for. Um, that like, we're trying to talk about something. You then get quiet. Then I feel like whatever I said was like so awful that now I'm a terrible human being and yeah. I should like just move to Iceland and live in a small cabin by myself, uh-huh. which sounds kind of great, actually. Kind of nice. Uh, but, the, you know, it costs a lot of money to import alcohol and other things there. So your, your living expenses are going to go up. For all that alcohol that you drink. Yeah, not a lot. But, you know, I just it's something I have to think about. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that those are interesting things that we have realized about each other that we try to not have be a recurring thing. But it's like... It's in our DNA. Yeah, and I just think it's a really crucial piece of working through disagreements to know, like, what is your shield that goes up? Everybody has a shield. Yeah. You know, like, the the getting quiet thing is sort of like this shield that goes up where I go into myself. And I think if I'm really honest with myself, the reason why I try so hard to shift that behavior is because when I look at it from your perspective, I think it's also an emotional manipulation tactic like human beings, we have these tactics that we don't realize are emotionally manipulative, m- manipulative, but they are. Yeah. So in that moment, me going quiet, as much as I might think I'm doing it because I'm processing, it's also a way for me to like shift the um, vic- not the victim, but like shift the attention back to myself. Where suddenly now I can, can I'm non-verbally communicating to you that I'm hurt. Right. And that is a way of me getting the power back, right? Because I know you're going to feel bad that I'm hurt. <laughs> and so I know that sounds like way overanalyzing, but it's true. And I'm always looking for like, what's the deeper thing at play here? What is the 
way that our brains are trying to communicate that is beneath the surface. And if we can understand what that is, we can kind of like stop it before it creates a problem. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe that that is going to be an ongoing thing that we'll work through probably for the next 11 years. And it will still be a thing that we both do because it's just literally ingrained in mm-hmm. us. Um, but again, that's probably where a couple therapists would be helpful, right? To like start to unpack some of that stuff and give us some tools to work through those things. But I feel totally. like we do a really good job of at least acknowledging those things and trying to work through them together. Yeah. And, and to recognize them before they set off the other person, because again, then it escalates. So you can bring, you can bring language to what's happening so that the other person knows you're not doing this intentionally to try and escalate it. You're just, you're falling into a pattern. Um, one thing that I think is interesting is that we have different tools for different types of fights. So when we find ourselves disagreements, disagreements of our 4,000, so high. Mine was so low and yours was so high. When you started to say 100, I was like, what number is she going to say? Because 100,000 is more than 40,000. <laughs> but then you went yeah, pretty low. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I heard 1,000 and I was like, oh shit. I wonder if that's a reflection of how we both view our relationship with each other. Like you're yeah. like, we never fight. It's such a great relationship. And I'm like, 10% of the time, this is we're in the gladiatorial well, you, arena. You know what's so interesting about that is- Here we go, folks. I do think that is really telling. Yeah. Because one thing that I try to remind you of when we're in that place where we're like having a serious discussion, and this is something I'm actually kind of insecure about. Let's just air it out right oh, now. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that- Sometimes I think that when we get in that place where we're, we're, we're really working through like a tough conversation, I know it's not your favorite thing. It's very natural to me because I'm so comfortable talking about my feelings and, but I know in that moment that it's so uncomfortable for you and it's so out of your comfort zone to like be there and talk and like really try to look inward and you do a really, I just want to point out, you do a really, really, really fantastic job knowing that it's not your cup of tea. Um... But sometimes I get insecure because I'm like, oh my God, this is such an uncomfortable feeling for him that I think you sometimes ascribe it to like our whole relationship sometimes right. yeah. of being like, we're fighting all the time. Oh like, yeah. And, and my- 25% of the time to be exact. <laughs> no, 10%. 10%. I you said you almost said- I did almost say 25%. Yeah. Uh, closer to 30, I think. But this also goes to something that we talked about earlier on in our relationship where- I think you had listened to something or read a book or whatever, and it was like, who are you in the relationship? Are you the person who thinks they're going to be abandoned, or are you the person who thinks you're going to do the abandoning? Do you remember that? It was actually different than that. Yeah, it yeah. was one person. It was it was in a relationship. There's typically one person who is afraid of dying, and there's one person who's afraid of the other person dying. Does uh, that make sense? Yeah, but but then the way that my example for this was yeah. like. I tend to think when, earlier on in our relationship that like every argument, r- disagreement, whatever that we had was going to be the end of our relationship. I know. But that didn't have anything to do with you dying. No, no, no. But like if you picture dying as like leaving right. or abandoning. Right. That's and why I, I thought it was. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So like in our relationship, I'm the person who thinks I'm going like is so scared of me dying. Right. You're the person who's so scared of me dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> But you that, seem like an important part yeah, of this. Yeah, that's not because I'm so cool. <laughs> that's because, you know, I have safety and anxiety issues. Yeah. And your issues are about abandonment and people right. staying. Right. And so, like, we know that. Um, and so, <laughs> it gives me this is very much inflated self-importance. <laughs> but it's, it's really about knowing that so that, you know, I think that's why maybe you 
why I underestimate and maybe why you over you overestimate Absolutely. a little bit. Yeah. And so I that that's something that I I also have to acknowledge in our our disagreements is I'm like I I just need to be aware of that fear in you and reassure you and yeah. be like just and, so it, you and know, I think it's definitely over time has you know has lessened uh so much right also as you start to realize that a lot of the things that you argue about they're not really a lot of really big life things totally uh you tend to get well at least for certain phases of your life you get those out of the way earlier on and then you have other things that come up like i'm sure we'll have more of those when we have kids just yeah. because naturally that's going to be a huge change in our lives so yeah and but i think you're right it's important to have that perspective and take a step back and be like what were we just arguing about it will be easy to have kids though because we know so much about parenting about parenting yeah. obviously yeah. um we're kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a recurring joke that we do a lot. Yeah. But if you've only listened to this first episode, you wouldn't know that. So we just like to point it out. Um, what I where I was going with the business fight versus a relationship fight is for um, business disagreements. One tool that has served us well is trying to acknowledge who in who is as we call it the head chef and who is the sous chef. Yeah. And so what that means is we were recognizing that a lot of our tension was coming from like too many cooks in the kitchen type thing. Like we both thought we were, we knew best in situations and that can be great for compromising and whatever in businesses you need different perspectives, but in order to move forward, ultimately there kind of needs to be like a final, the buck stops here. Yeah. So, um, and that changes. So it's not like you're the boss and I'm just here to like, whatever it's, we're each the boss in different scenarios. And so going into a certain area of the business and saying, okay, in this situation, you're the head chef and I'm the sous chef. A great example is like when we were recording reels, like we really enjoy that. But sometimes your old, um, you know, yeah, video I mean, I production. Only, I only filmed and edited 3000 videos. Exactly. So like I have a wealth of experience and this like ingrained thing that like, okay, I'm in charge of video. Exactly. Right. But then if I'm the person who it's my role to do social and I've already sat down and done, you know, kind of the storyboarding and I know how this is going to go, we were finding ourselves in a situation where there would be many disagreements because we would have competing visions. Yep. And so we would have to take a step back and be like, okay, you're the head chef. Like I defer to you kind yep. of thing. And then you would come to me if you got to like a, Hey, I need some ideas. And I'd be like, okay, now I'm sous chef. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm yep. helping. I'm chopping. I'm doing whatever sous <laughs> yeah. chefs do. I'm putting things in cute ramekins. Yeah. I'm just doing all that stuff and getting it ready. And, and that's just my role in that. And the, otherwise I'm just stepping to the side and doing that. And I really do think that has been such a helpful thing for us, especially because we run, two businesses, but we have a bunch of other things that we work on as well. We come into discussions all the time where there's not a real clear person who takes charge. Yeah. And so in that moment, it's really helpful to say like, hey, I feel really passionate about this. Like I'd like to be the head chef on this. And you know, if we can agree on that, then I think we can move forward. And yeah. then sometimes we can't agree on that. And yeah. we have to just like continue to chip away at it and figure out you know, there always is someone who takes the charge at the end of it, but sometimes it just takes a lot longer to get to that place. And sometimes it's very easy just to do it in the beginning. Yeah. And I think it's also, we, we've learned, I didn't write this in my notes, but I think we've learned over time that it doesn't help to quote unquote, keep score with things, but it does help to have at least a finger on the pulse of like, if, like if there's always one person who's constantly deferring, I think that that's a recipe for resentment. Right. At least with our personality types. Yeah. Maybe maybe not in other relationships where like one person really likes being the supporting cast and one person really likes being the head of the situation. Yeah. We are two types of people that like to be in charge at different times. So I think it's important to at least keep an awareness of like if one of us has been constantly deferring to the other person, if for lack of a better term, if one of us has been playing sous chef like too many times, yeah. 
then you know, you just have to voice that and say like, hey, I feel like I've been deferring a lot to you on such and such thing. And then, you know, we can agree on that. And then it's like, okay, now it's your time to shine kind yeah. of thing. I think there's an interesting, just a quick aside on business stuff, kind of like the journey that we've been on as business partners mm-hmm, over the years. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not, I'm just, this is my assumption mm-hmm. is that the way what picked up a little bit of tone in that. No, I didn't. Okay. I was just the the I was way like, where that, are you going? The way that I've seen this evolve for us over the years was in like the first couple years of us working together and and like being partners of things. I was like eighty percent making all the decisions, and you were like twenty percent. Mm-hmm. And then I think probably about the time when you started Made Vibrant mm-hmm. stuff, it was like seventy thirty. Mm-hmm. And then by the time like Made Vibrant was going for a couple years, it was like. 65 35 maybe or maybe even 60 40 and then i think when we started wandering aimfully it was like 55 45 and probably just still me because i just still had more experience Mm -hmm. not that i was necessarily better Mm -hmm. but i think nowadays it's like it's literally 50 50 and it it goes 51 49 only when we need it to right does that sound right to you yeah that sounds right okay yeah and you have any objections you'd like to bring up no i think just uh context okay yeah yeah. uh i think i think yeah it I think I would agree with that journey. And I think it was just because I needed to find my own confidence that only comes through experience Absolutely. in business. And so I needed to, I always like believed in my abilities and felt strongly about my skills, but I needed to see those skills in action in order to really feel like I could, or and maybe you honestly needed to see me in action in order to build trust with me in my decision making, and that's oh, okay too. For sure, I think that's like uh, a great example for anything, right? Not even just business, but also yeah. like in the personal relationship stuff, where it's like uh, just something really silly. Like, I don't think you do a good job of doing the dishes. This right. is just an example. You do a great job. Of doing I know dishes. I do, but it's like until I see you doing the good job of doing the dishes. I can't believe that you do a good job doing the dishes. Right. And so I think it's like anything in a relationship or just in life until the other person sees that the other person can actually show up and do that thing. It's just like our, our dumb human brains can't actually like synthesize that data. Right. And I do think it also like the confidence thing is also a really big part of this where when you come to the table in discussions or other things, you you then have experiences to draw from and you're not just always saying like, I think or I believe, which are fine, but a lot of times in business, it's like, well, do we have anything to back that up on? Because we're both waiting in uncertain waters, so who has some experience that they can pull from that we can move forward with? Yeah. So that's kind of how we, I mean, sometimes it's harder because I would say we've developed more tools to work through business challenges or business discussions than we have just regular relationship stuff. Although I'll be honest, sometimes it'll start as a business thing and then we're like, oh, what's really going on here? (laughs) And then we're like, oh, it's not a business thing. And so that kind of takes us to the next portion of our evening. Um, <laughs> this one should have been a uh, Zooks after dark. Yeah. You pour some wine yeah. or whatever drink you like. Oh God, we haven't done an after dark in a long time. And if you're sober, you just have a nice uh, alcohol-free cocktail. Yeah, I'm almost sober, y'all. I just, only by the pure thing of like, my body cannot process alcohol anymore. How, how? How'd you feel after that mezcal the other night, by the way? The next day? Okay, but not great, obviously. Yeah. But I think better than wine. I think that's Probably what my experiment but was, it was trying to... Yes, I think yeah. better than wine, I think, for whatever reason. But, like, now that I have an awareness that alcohol triggers my anxiety... Yeah. That's an important realization for me. Yeah. Anyway. Anywho. That's a real aside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
I wanted to talk about the phases of our arguments because okay. they always take like a very similar trajectory. Okay. And I just thought this was interesting. So I wish we had like a phase, like an argument phase calendar. Like where we, we could, could like, be like come ding! in. Ding! <laughs> like, this portion. Yeah. And then we turn it over. I okay. picture it as like an arrow that like moves into a quadrant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So phase one of the argument is usually what I like to call the airing of grievances. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where one of us is like, you know, okay, no, actually there's a pre-phase, which is just called tone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just called tone. Yeah. And usually it starts with some type of, just, you can feel the friction in the air. It's just like a little edge on what each of us is saying. And so then usually one of us goes, hey, is something going on here? And then that, bing, then we go into the airing of grievances. And that's usually where each person just needs to let out whatever has been on their heart and mind of whatever the source of tension is. Yeah. And thankfully, I think over the years we've cultivated like a safe enough space where we know that that portion of the evening is coming. Yeah. And so I almost like prepare myself to like, okay, here it comes. Do not get defensive. Right. Like I, I have to actually tell my brain that of like, he needs to get this off his chest. Whatever he's about to say is probably not going to hurt your feelings. I don't mean it like that because you don't ever intentionally hurt my feelings. But like whatever you're it's about going to, to say, affect you. it's going to be hard to hear. Yeah. Because it's going to be like, I've, I'm feeling like this because lately I'm feeling like you did this thing and it made me feel this way. Um, and so I always mentally am like, okay, here comes the airing of the grievances. Do not be defensive. Try to put yourself in his shoes. Hear what he has to say. I do think that that step alone is so helpful. Yeah. And like I said, this is for relationships, but it's also for like friendships. Yeah. It's like that person is about to tell you something that is going to be hard to hear, but just like having the giving that person space, space yeah. to be able to say that. Okay. That concludes the airing of, of the, the grievances. grievances. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> Been together for too long. Yeah. Um, okay. Usually that portion ends in both people feeling some sort of hurt yeah. because they're like, I didn't mean to do that or I hate that I made you feel that way. And so the next portion I said is realizing you don't want to hurt the other person. Right. So like the end of that, that is probably the most like emotion packed part of it <clears throat> because it stings the most. But you come to this place where like after you've kind of said your piece, so let's say I'm coming to you and I'm like... I feel like you did this thing and it made me feel a certain way. Then I arrive at this place where I see now that that was not, not your intention. And now that I've put it out there, I go, well, that wasn't his intention. You know, like yeah. I, it's the empathy piece where you put yourself in the other person's shoes and you go, either if you're the person who feels like you're being like attacked or whatever, you go, okay, they're not trying to attack me. Or if you're the person who is bringing up the grievance, you're like, they didn't mean to do that thing that I'm trying to bring up right now. So right. it's kind of like the empathy phase. Yep. And right. then spin the dial. And then once we trigger the empathy phase, I feel like we move into kind of turning inward and asking what our role in this is. So usually we arrive at this place where one of us will say like, I'm, I, I honestly am sorry that you feel that way. Like I didn't realize that I, me doing X would make you feel Y. I can see how you'd feel that. Um, and you just kind of go, I, I could have done a better job by doing X, Y, and Z. 
like, I do think it's a really critical piece for us, at least in these discussions, that there's always personal responsibility and accountability taken, whether you intended for the other person to feel badly or not. And out of those 4,000 disagreements that we've had. <laughs> ah, can there, we just put a blanket number on it? A thousand. Well, I will a thousand. give you a thousand. Yeah, I think a thousand's fair. Okay. I think that's realistic. Uh, you guys can let us know if you think the number's way off, spot on, Wait, that would or be whatever. one out of every 40, right? Because you said 40,000 yes. days. So do we have like a discussion once every 40 days? Absolutely. I know. I think more often than that. We're getting Maybe closer to 4,000. No, we're not. Maybe twice every 40 days. That feels right to me. Okay. So 2,000. 2,000. I'll give you 2,000. Are we closer to 150 or 4,000? <laughs> I told you I way undercut it. I didn't have a lot of math. <laughs> um, what I was going to say to that was out of those 2,000, I do think that the majority of them, we can come to the like uh, personal realization part of the quadrant. But I do think there are a good amount of those discussions that we've had, agreements, fights, whatever, where there isn't a personal realization. Like you just feel like maybe the other person was wrong or mm -hmm. the other person, you know, did something that affected you. And I, I think that those are the really difficult ones because you're kind of coming out off of the empathy phase and you want to do the kind of self-realization but it doesn't actually fit for some of these. Like it feels disingenuous to yeah, be like, I, did, I should have done this when you're like, I don't, I you're feel like, like I No, did. yeah, like this is, and, and I think that that's the like digging the heels in part of arguments and, and scuffles that couples get into that is very muddy. That's the real tough part. And, and I don't, obviously we're non-licensed therapists. We're not trying to be in this episode, but I think that's the part where we, we just openly admit that sometimes those things are just messy. And sometimes you walk away from those where you, you've, you've hugged it out. You feel good uh, about how it kind of resolved. Like you don't harbor any feelings that are negative moving forward. But you also know that like the other person feels like you wronged them or hurt their feelings or what have you. And that's just the end of it, you right. know, and, and it may, it may come back around like a day or two later where you're like, Hey, like I was thinking about this. Sometimes it doesn't like, sometimes it's just that thing happened we had some sort of resolution that we both were okay with and we were honest with each other about that and then we just moved on. Yeah, I, it's like the agree to disagree type Absolutely. thing, right? Where Absolutely. you're just like, you're like, I can't move forward through this in any other way except to say, I love this person. You know I love you. Um, I don't see it that way. And we, if you're at a place where you can just go like, we can just agree to disagree that we have different perspectives yeah. on this and we can move forward with it. But then there is always, I think, a final quadrant, which is what do we do going forward? Mm -hmm. This is in most arguments where it's not an agree to disagree situation. It's like a very clear, like, I didn't mean to hurt you, but I did hurt you clearly. Yeah. I can recognize my personal responsibility in that. What do I, what are we going to do moving forward to try to not, or to try to prevent this from happening again? Yeah. And that's how we're always like evolving. So that's just how we have kind of, we didn't, again, this is not like we're not going off of a book. We're not like working through any steps. This is just how it has morphed over the years. And this is just the type of people that we are. We're very much like optimizers. You know, we don't shy away from personal growth. So it's always like, all right, well, what can we do in the future? Yeah. You know? And I think we have some especially early on, like there were some patterns that we fell into when we were having arguments or disagreements. Like for me, it was that like, I just wasn't able to emotionally relate or mm -hmm. even to share my emotions. So I just kept falling into that. Like I just, I literally couldn't emotionally relate to you and how you were feeling. But then I also couldn't share how I was feeling because I just didn't have the words to do it. And I think just the 
more that we went from being in 150 stage of arguments to 2000, the better I got at that through just talking it out and having discussions about it. I'm curious from your perspective, because like going back to what I was saying before, this communication about emotions is very natural to me. Like it's in my wheelhouse. How have you over the years lubed up the gears, <laughs> lubed up those emotional <laughs> gears? Like, like when you're in that moment of discomfort where you're like, oh my God, this is going to turn, you know, that moment where you're yeah. like, oh shit, this is about to be a thing where we're going to have to dig in here. How do you talk yourself through sitting in that discomfort when it's something that's so clearly not your natural skill set? Yeah, I think the thing that I have come to over the course of years of having these discussions and being really uncomfortable in those moments is to say, like, I want our relationship to continue and to Aww. continue to be together more than I... Like, fear the discomfort of it. Yeah, and like it's the the grinding of these gears to to work through this. And I'm still not good at it. Like by all means, like I just am emotionally stunted in some way, and we'll sort that out at some point in life. Maybe when I'm 80, <laughs> um, and we could do that with like a nice little like digital upgrade. You know, right? Just, just like, a whatever. chip. But I I do think I have gotten better at it, and I think that I've gotten better at it because the more that I put some type of outcome that my brain can understand is worth doing. Mm -hmm. It helps me to get through those things and to like open up and talk about that stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I want our relationship to be happy and healthy. And if I just stay here in my safe space where I lock up emotions in a black box, that doesn't do that. And and I think that I've just realized over time, like it doesn't make it any easier in the moment. Like it's mm -hmm. still very difficult, still very uncomfortable. Like I feel in my body, my entire body, I might go from like mid fifties to mid sixties on like wow. heart rate. Um, but I do feel like physical discomfort trying to like share those things. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to ask. I think that's a really good answer because oh, it is. Thank you. And you have come such a long way and I'm just interested in how you've been able to do that. And I think attaching it to, like you said, an outcome and for lack of a better phrase, thinking of the big picture. Yeah, absolutely. What, what is it all for? Yeah. What is this emotional discomfort for? It's for a happy and healthy relationship and it's that you know, I care, you care about our relationship and I see you working that hard and I see how uncomfortable it is for you. And it's also important for me to acknowledge that and to say, I see you working hard and I thank you for being in this like vulnerable space when it's not your. Do you also see me and you look like I'm like a little injured duckling? Are you like, oh, look at him. He's one little <laughs> wing. He can't do, can't do anything. <laughs> Come on. I'll get him a stick and some bandages and he'll be okay. <laughs> we'll nurse him back to health. Yeah. Yes, that is exactly how I view you. <laughs> but like a pretty... An emotionally wounded duck. But a pretty big duck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, did you see that duck going around the internet that's like the tallest duck? No. It's like the tallest... I don't know if he was like a Canadian goose or something, but like... he's like I'll the, be able to identify the he's bird. He's like the tallest duck and he's like over a foot tall. He's just like so tall. I'll have to look this up. Yeah, I love a good, yeah. I love a good tall Google, bird. Just Google like tallest, tall duck, duck, tallest, tallest duck, duck meme. Yeah. <laughs> You'll find it. Yeah. That was a fun little um, thing there. So those are like the phases of our arguments okay. um, and how it goes down. The last thing I want to talk about is preventing disagreements. And this is another little important piece of the puzzle. I think we could get our number down, our percentage <laughs> down, um, because we have developed skills to basically like pre-communicate so that fights don't fight. I keep calling them fights. They're yeah, not yeah, it's fine. fights. Yeah, They're yeah. just, just, you know. That's just a word that tensions. we use to describe yeah. them. Yeah. So that these don't turn into disagreements, but, um, I think a big one is 
like I said, over communicating. So some of you might've seen on my social media a while back, I shared our anxiety scale. We haven't had to use it lately because my anxiety has been pretty uh, solid and not moving. But if I am at like a seven, eight or above on my 10 point anxiety scale, I need Jason to know that so that he doesn't take it personally when I am short with him or what, like he knows that I'm fighting an internal battle with myself of feeling, you know, all my sensations and just trying to get through the day. So he's not going to like yeah, take that tone in a certain way. And it's really important for me. Will you just do me a quick, this is like a scoochies, Mm -hmm. but like, it's just like a shirt shirt scoochies. scoochies. Um, It's really important for me when you're feeling a certain way, which is usually not good. To know that. And yeah. if I don't know that, I'm not armed with enough information to avoid conflict. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like uh, I'm about to walk into an arena and everyone has swords and I have like a rubber duck. And it's like <laughs> I need to be know that this is a sword fight, not a rubber duck fight. <laughs> and without knowing that and without communicating that, and I think the anxiety scale, the physical anxiety scale that you built, and for those of you who have not seen it, it's just a one through or yeah, one through 10 numbering with a little slider on top and you can... So that I can slide it depending on the day and Jason can be like, oh, it's and you a could, you could seven make, day. You could make an anxiety scale, I'm putting in quotes, for anything. If you have anything in your relationship that's right. maybe like a, a recurring chronic thing. Chronic illness. Yeah. Like where are you at a flare-up? Exhaustion? Are Absolutely. you a new parent? Where stress, are you on stress? Even just stress. And so whatever it is, it's like a recurring thing that comes up for you that maybe you even have a hard time communicating because I think that's one of the things for you too is it was just hard for you to communicate where you were yeah. on that. But creating the scale made it easy for you to be able – easier for you to be able to be like, oh, today's like a bad day. So yeah. I'm like I'm towards like an 8, 9, 10. Yeah. Or today's a good day and I'm at like a 3, 4 or whatever. And that so just – So if I'm salty, something's going on. <laughs> yeah, but it, it just was really, really helpful for us to have that – language and even visual language to be able to see it to then know when I was coming to the table with something even if it was something where I feel like maybe you did something wrong to me Mm -hmm. if you were feeling a kind of way it's not the right time to bring it up like I can deal with that and not like walk into a whole separate thing that's going to set you off because we don't need to do that that's going to cause a whole bunch of other yeah and another piece of that has been I think probably in the past like year we've gotten so much more intentional about um sharing between us about like my hormone cycle and like if you're someone who ovulates you have a hormone cycle that you know and people's symptoms are you know worse than others and I get moody I get moody for about three to four days and for me it shows up in in impatience and irritability yeah and it's just like my my filter is so much lower for tone and things like that so I will snap at you and, and it's not even it's kind of funny because yeah how would you describe it it's careful though <laughs> <laughs> Woo, 2001 here we come uh, space odyssey uh it is I'm trying to think of how to describe it not how to describe it that doesn't hurt your feelings because I'm not going to do that great it is you remove the subtlety of compassion and humor yeah, the softening. I was yeah. just the word I was going to use is like the softening. It's it's sharp. It's your sharp. responses are sharp, and yeah. I can I can always tell that you're getting to that place in your cycle. And I'm not. This isn't the like man. Like it's your time of the month. It's yeah. not that at all. It's I can tell when you're at that place because ninety seven percent of the month you are not sharp. Yeah, you are have like a soft edge to you, and it's and I'm used to it. I know it, but yeah. it's when that sharpness happens that it's like. Like, yeah. It, it yeah. really does. And I, 
sometimes I just don't, like, I have a physical response to it where I'm just like, why are you talking to me like this? Yeah. And then I have to realize too, like, oh, this is not something that you're doing intentionally. Exactly. This is something that you don't have, you know, the capacity to control. And I think the weird thing about the the cyclical nature of hormones is because it's far enough apart. Oh my God, it's so, it's so brilliant. Yeah. It's far enough apart yep. that you forget. You forget. And then you get to the part of the cycle again where you're like, I'm not irritable. You're yeah. like, okay, okay. Yeah. But if you're saying I'm not okay. irritable, like, any, it's so interesting. Any person listening to this right now who ovulates, you please tell me if you were the same thing where you're like, for so many years, I was just like, why am I feeling this way? Like, blah, blah. And then you finally read about your own hormone cycle and you're like, Oh, yeah, yeah. and you're like, it happens every month. Why? What was that book that you read that was really um, eye-opening? In the Flow. In the Flow. Is, is Claire? A book. Is no, the um, Claire Baker is a person on Instagram who talks about it a lot, it, and I it. learned a lot from her, um, so you can look her up. And then the book that I read was In the Flow. Got it. So these are two things that just you get more familiar with the hormone cycle, and you learn that there are seasons to it and yep. you understand what to look for. But anyway, I went through many, many years where, and we, I would chat about this with my friends and we would be like, we feel like idiots. We feel like idiots because every month yeah. we're like, what is happening? And they're like, oh yeah. yeah, it's the same thing that's been happening to me every month for, you know, years and years and years. And you feel dumb, but it's like that, that 30 day cycle is just long enough, it's just long enough to where you just, it's like a memory eraser, yeah. but yeah, we've, and now we've gotten to the point where we, I have clued into it. I think sharp is so the perfect word for it yeah. because now that's how I recognize it in myself too. I'm like, Oh, there it was. Like, I'm like, why did I just say it like that? Well, and you're so self-aware too, that I think that's the difference. Right. Like I'm not as self-aware as you are by any means. And so if I have a change in mood, which I've actually started to realize, like, as a man, I'm sure that I go through slight hormone cycles. Your, and different your ways. hormone cycle is actually a 24-hour hormone cycle. But I do notice nowadays a little bit more when I'm just in a bad mood. Right. And and I've I've started to realize that like and even so to maybe tell it's you, not hormone related, but you just have noticed that right. you're a person who has different moods. Yeah. This is big. <sighs> wow. Out you're of the two thousand, it's time. about seven, but. Uh, uh, but no, I think I've even told you like a couple times, like, I think I'm just in a bad mood. Yeah. Or and, I'm tired. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why that is. Like, I don't have anything that I can point to, but it's just, that's what it is. But acknowledging that helps to do that. So hundred percent. Anyway. So that's another key piece of this is just like the communication of, you know, the dynamic nature of your moods and where you are so yep. that you can prevent disagreements from either even happening because you're cultivating empathy with the other person and like yep. where they're coming from. Um, and then I just wanted to say like, sometimes it's taken me many years to realize, and this goes back to like what we were talking about, your fear of like, every time we have a disagreement, it's like, oh my God, is is it, are end. we fighting all yep. the time? And I think it's that sometimes like as humans, we operate on different, we were just talking about it, different ebbs and flows right. and different frequencies and your energy is at a different level. And sometimes you and your partner are going to be at a different frequency. Yep. And you're going to be out of alignment and that's okay. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's, it's honestly not even anything more than that. Like yeah. sometimes it's just, sometimes you and I have to look back and be like, I just think we're like off out of sync for right now. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I, I think it comes up a lot more in business than it does in life for us where like one of us has a lot of energy to work on something and the other person doesn't have a yep. lot and there's friction there. Like yep. those two things 
But most of the time we don't. Most of the time we just both have a lot of energy, both have a lot of excitement, and we can churn through stuff. Yeah, I have also noticed that the times where I feel like we're out of alignment, usually it means that we haven't been, we don't have enough touch points of connection. Right. Because I think in a partnership, you can, when you can be around someone, you pick up on their frequency. So like if you're a little bit lower and I'm a little bit higher, if we're around each other more often, like I'll raise you up and may, or maybe you'll, you're kind of like, raise gonna, you uh, up. Okay. <laughs> we're, you're going to kind of like sync up, right? Like just on a frequency level. Again, this is not scientifically backed. We are yeah, not yeah. professionals, but like, this is just the way that I can describe it as a human being of the way that my brain understands it. So the more touch points you have, the more you can kind of like sync up in that energy and the times where I have felt like we were out of alignment, it's usually like we're not checking in daily with work stuff. We maybe we're not being as diligent with our daily. We usually go for a walk every day. Those are those walks are so crucial to checking in with each other and being like, where are you at right now? Yeah. You know, so usually if we're at like an out of alignment phase, we've let those go or something or we're not doing it as frequently um, and so, yeah, for us, it's just about recognizing that and being like, we need to prioritize more quality time together. And usually when we do that, we get back into a rhythm yeah. that is matched up. Yeah. And I just, I think it's just a good, it's a helpful tool to acknowledge of being able to be like, okay, it's not that I'm irritable or anything like that. What was the first one? What, irritable? Before that, what was the other thing of, like, how we realized to avoid fights, like, before that? Oh, anxiety. Yeah, yeah. It's not, like, an anxiety thing. So, like, maybe it's just uh, my frequency is off with you right now. And so yeah. having those things, it's like a checklist we can go right. through. And then if it's something else, it's something else. But I think that those three things are really powerful to be able to, like, bring to the table before anything gets to disagreement status. Totally. I think the other thing that I don't know if it's on the list, but I wanted to bring it up because it's been really helpful for me when you brought it up to me. I think you got this from Brene Brown, which is the story that I'm telling mm -hmm, myself. Mm -hmm. And I this, think that's in her rising strong book. It's such a helpful phrase when you're about to get into a disagreement of some sort to bring that to the other person because yeah. it's kind of like the anxiety scale where it's like the story that I'm telling from? myself in my head yeah. is that you think this about me or what I'm doing. Yes. And then you get to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not doing that at all. And I'm sorry that you feel that way. And I acknowledge that you feel that way. But here's what I'm actually going through. Mm -hmm. And that has been a really helpful thing because I think just as, as humans, especially humans who work together, live together, and so, much, so many of you listening to this, if you have a partner, have probably spent more time in the past year than you ever have before, you, there's a lot of unsaid things but when there's more time there's more said things mm -hmm. and so for us what we've just realized is people who have been working together and from home for pretty much our entire relationship it's so important to be able to have ways to voice things that are unsaid that you're thinking that can soften the blow before it gets to anything difficult mm -hmm. and so I think that phrase of the story I'm telling myself in my head is a really great way to soften the blow of a discussion before it gets to like I think you're thinking this like right. it just is very different or even you're making me feel this way. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, whoa, there's a big difference between you're making me feel this way. No, I'm not. To I think you're yeah. you're making me feel this way to the story I'm telling myself. Exactly. Is, you know. So, really, really helpful. All right. Um, I think that's it. Oh, the, just the last point I wanted to say is like, I do think that it's also just important to continue to like have fun together for us and, and to live out the values of whatever you're whatever you value in your partnership to offset some of those harder conversations yeah. you've had to have. So like for us, humor is, uh, is like, I think one of the core tenets of what makes our partnership work. 
and we know each other's senses of humor. We know when, you know, sometimes like sometimes I add humor. It's not you, the I'm like time. not yeah. yet, but I, I would say for can, the most part, yeah. we have an idea of when to pepper in humor and when yeah. not to. I think you guys can tell listening to this, you you folks listening to this, uh, that. I am always trying to cut through with levity. Yeah. And it has been my defense mechanism since I was little. I mean, since I was a baby. A baby. I was telling jokes, you know, what's the deal with nipples? (laughs) Guys have them. Women have them, but I can only get milk from what? You know, that was me as a child. As That's your, ba- your baby Seinfeld <laughs> uh, That just literally came from the dome. Also, but I probably nipples? Thought that's I, what you went with? I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's part of this that I have learned over the years, too, that, like, there's a time and a place for it. And I think earlier on in our relationship, I would just defer to it, mm-hmm. not realizing it's actually going to make this worse. Mm-hmm. And so trying to, like, bite my tongue a little and, like, filter that out, um, but I think there it is also really helpful to come back to the thing that like really unites us as a couple, which is humor um, above pretty much everything else, and that helps us get through things. Totally. Okay. All right. That's it. The other thing, so uh, soft bridge here to our movie, our classic movie night. I think the other thing that it really helps us too is to find commonalities together. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've talked about this, but this might be an interesting, just quick little aside. Yeah. I feel like there's this pressure in a relationship where you have to share all the same interests. You yeah. have to share all the same things. And, like, we even have friends who are like, oh, yeah, we never watch anything separately. Like, we always watch the same, you know, we sit like down and watch TV. if we can't agree on it together, then we won't watch it. Well, not even that, but it's like they don't sit on the couch and watch separate things. Right. I think so many couples might feel, and this is just a But that's assumption. what I'm saying is, like, if you can't agree on it, then you're not going to watch it. Right. Right. But I think... I'm still not sure if I'm making the point that you're making. Oh, okay. But I don't know. But this is a fun 2002. Uh, <laughs> it's it's that you sit on the couch and you watch something on your iPad. Yeah. I sit on the couch and I watch something on the TV. Yeah. We may actually be watching similar style things. Like, they're not even different style. It's just that we're together so much that sitting and watching the same thing is almost like giving energy to each other yeah. that we don't have the energy to give. Right. And so it creates this nice separation where we can still be together in close proximity, yeah. but we don't have to be focused on the same thing. Yeah. And then like engaging in conversation, as bad as that can sound, because I think you just naturally need a break. And yeah, Well, yeah, especially in these times, like we, we spend... N- a hundred percent of our time together. Yeah, we spend a hundred percent of our Except time. Except we're pooping. That's the only time we don't spend but, like, together. We're in the same house. Yeah, but like we spend so much time together because we've always worked from home, and like maybe you listening are now working from home and you weren't before. It's a lot of time to spend with your significant other, and the ways that we have helped that, and also we're both kind of introvert extroverts, but like lean more introverted. So we're fully comfortable with being in the same room together and not watching the same thing. Right. And I think that I don't know, well, I don't know if that's something that people think is taboo to do, but it's just something that we have. Like, I don't know if people equate that with, like, going to a restaurant and both being on your phones because you're like, why would you be here if you weren't being together? But it makes me kind of think of that differently where I'm just like. Yeah, but I still think of, like. why judge a person just for what they're doing, you know? Yeah. There's a whole discussion we could get into on that. I mean, we haven't been to a restaurant in so long that I'm so ready to get to one and there's no chance I'm looking at my phone the entire time. Well, that's true. I I would say, I I would say the, the thing that I would be more critical of in that moment is just being on technology at the table. Yeah. I think it kind of, but yeah, there's a lot of nuance there. Restaurant experience of other people, but anyway, all of that to say, 
we classic movie night is one of the ways that we always reconnect every single week, <laughs> right. and we have for the past two years. We watch the same movies. We don't we don't watch different yeah. movies on different nights because most nights we are watching different things. Exactly. Yeah, and especially as we're into like I'm getting into NBA playoffs, so it's about to be you know basketball on every single night, and every game is important, obviously, right. because it is. The point that just going back to what I was trying to describe to you, I think it is the same thing. It's just a different way of saying it. So if you were a couple who basically said like if we can't agree on on it, we're not going to watch it, that would prevent you from watching separate things on your device. Because you would just always find something you'd have to Together. bring up to watch. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, glad we worked through that. <laughs> uh, all right, Classic Movie Night. What did we watch this right. past weekend? We have, I believe, Equilibrium with Christian Bale, an Italian job yeah. with Mark Wahlberg. Okay, where do we start? Equilibrium... I, what a find that yeah. you, like I had never heard of this movie. Yeah. You just read me the log line and I was like, this is interesting. Did you write the log line down? No, but try it, do your best. It's essentially in the future, feelings have become outlawed. Right, because they've determined that things like war and mainly war, yeah. all the bad things in society have stemmed from being too emotional. Yes. And so they have outlawed feelings. Yep. You, you, they take, you take this drug to suppress emotions. Don't take zirconium if you're allergic to zirconium. Right. Yeah. And so what it's done is it's created a society where there's no war, but they're all just sort of like these non-feeling robotic people. Yeah. And so one man. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Bale, who is like a, a feeling cop. A feelings uh, cop. Which yeah. is different than like not he's not he's not copping a feel he's a feelings cop <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> very important distinction uh, he is like you know he's got like a sense for people who have feelings and so he's rooting them out and whatever but then come to find out that our friend Christian is starting to have feelings mm. ooh plot won't twist tell you what happened. Um, but I found this to be a very interesting movie yes I'm glad I watched it yeah it was slow at times I took some. Um, had some issues with the plot at times. Absolutely, the feelings really range. Yeah, when you yeah. write when you write an entire movie based on the premise that people don't have feelings, I'm like, mm, he kind of was having a feeling there. You're just pulling your mic down again. Okay. I got to keep an eye on this Speaking for you. Speaking of feelings, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I couldn't help but like the the like you know. The scale of what were feelings and what wasn't feelings. Right, was, I'm like... Because, mm, like, they were, they were like, passionately yelling between, like, yeah. the guy who runs the society and Christian Bale. Exactly. But you're like, I'm isn't like, that feelings? Exactly, yeah. yeah. That also made it fun to watch. Yeah, because then you like, could just whole time be like, hey, that's hey, feelings, just feelings, so you guys know. Feelings alert. Um, yeah. I, it felt very artsy to me. Yeah, so this movie was made three years after The Matrix, and it was very inspired by The Matrix. Do you know what's weird? I'm literally picturing the movie as black and white. It wasn't black and white. Not at all. No, but it was... Desaturated, so We right? read about this in the, the uh, trivia that before Christian acknowledges his feelings... Oh, it's more It gray. has a more desaturated tone. Right. When he starts to acknowledge his feelings, it has a more saturated tone. No, they didn't say that. That was a different movie. What they said was the violence. I will say it's a violent movie. Oh, so yeah. It's, yeah. It's, if, if gun violence is triggering to you, there is a lot because yeah, it's 2002. Yeah, don't, don't watch it. But um, the what they said in the trivia was that at the beginning, the violence is almost off-screen and very non-graphic yeah. to illustrate the fact that like he is um desensitized to violence or whatever because he doesn't feel and then by the end you see like these extreme you know fake fake splatters and whatever um but that's because now you're he's sensitized to the violence right he's having more feelings exactly christian's having feelings so just that was an interesting element to it um i wish the movie was retitled christian's having feelings (laughs) (laughs) uh 
uh, the other thing I wanted to say about this movie was that if you listen to these movie reviews we do at the end and you've watched some of these movies, this ranks up there for me with virtuosity. It's not as like campy as virtuosity yeah. was, but it's very much you're just like, this movie. This is a movie. Like, I'm so glad I watched this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what I'll say. I don't remember what our exact ratings were for this. But I would give it a six and a half for me. Yeah, I think I would give it a seven, mostly because the cinematography of the okay, movie the is really is, good. is cool. Um, I think it's funny because I don't normally mind slow movies, but it was just, like, slow, and I'm just, like... Well, it is, like, we find this all the time, like, watching even the movie, we talked about this in The Matrix, the pacing of The Matrix is slower yeah. than what we're used to now 20-some-odd years and later. And because the entire point of the movie is that to maintain this sort of, like, even-keeled emotional feeling, I found myself becoming very emotionally numb to the movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, all right, equilibrium, so though. Equilibrium. Okay. Yeah. Moving on to Italian Job. <laughs> Go ahead, just get it out of the way. Guys, I've never seen the Italian Job. Um, when did it come out? Oh, 2000s? mid-2000s, yeah. Okay, well, for the 15 years since that movie came out, I thought the entirety of the movie, I just had this picture in my head, which I know now why this picture exists, and it's because they probably put it in the trailer. Oh, I have absolutely. this picture in my head of these little Mini Coopers zipping around Italy, Venice, I know now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's a, doing- it's a heist movie in Italy. Yeah. Guess what, guys? Fucking <laughs> spy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> they're in Italy for the first 15 minutes of the movie, and then they're gone. There they is... are not in Italy. Yeah. They're in freaking, where are they? Uh, L.A.? L.A. or something? Yeah. There's no Italian job what happening. What the actual F? Yeah, there's no Italian job happening. I will say, I so I think I've seen this movie twice this before. This is an outrage. How is How are more people not talking I'm about sure this? I'm sure they were 15 years ago. They should yeah. have been. I think I've seen this movie twice. Uh, I remember the first time seeing it, like back when it came out. You're like, oh, heist movie, action. Like this is like, I think Fast and Furious, the first one, had only come out. So like there weren't a lot of like car chase movies that were really popular. Yeah. Like there were probably some older ones with uh, Oh, it was Burt definitely and Fast whatnot. and the Furious like genre. Adjacent. Uh, Adjacent. And I remember watching it for the first time. I was like, oh yeah, this is like good and you know, whatever. Then I remember watching it a second time, which is probably in like the mid like 2010s, mm-hmm. being like, it's not that great, you know? And it's just like... It's fine. It's a heist it's movie. It's fine. Watching it for the third time, I'm so mad that it wasn't in Italy. Like, I, I completely <laughs> side with you and I'm just like, make this in Italy. Yeah. This would have been so much more fun to be... The Italy part was the best part. Yeah, not... Like, you guys made like a, like a really bad version of Speed. Is, no, is, it's not a speed. I know. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, speed is so good. That's a 10 for us. Right, but it's not like a car chase I movie. Know. It's like fast. It's more of like a bad version of Fast and Furious. It's not bad at all. In fact, it was entertaining. It's just my disappointment at it not being this. I, w- I, I was excited. I was like, it's going to get me excited about our potential trip. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to feel like I'm yeah, traveling. Yeah. And guess what? No, I wasn't. LA. Also, we live two hours from there. We don't need any more of it. <laughs> right. Also, it is just the definitive, like, writing of that fast and furious testosterone driven oh yeah misogynistic also there's one woman in the movie yeah there's one woman in the movie it's charlie's theron and like so many comments are just about like fast cars and chicks and like blah 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 blah. or like there's a guy who's a mechanic and he's like oh what's up baby like how you doing talking to her i'm like why why Why? also yeah this person exists 100 percent don't write him in the movie 
so yeah, th- that part of it is just, it's such a bummer to watch this movie. Like, I think I said it when we were watching, like, halfway through the movie, I'm like, oh, Charlize Theron is the only female character in this movie. Yeah, it's like, kind it's of, just a it's kind bummer. of ridiculous. And it also makes me think about... That, she's amazing, by the way. She's great. But yeah. That movie came out when you were... 20s. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, no shit, we have a problem with toxic masculinity. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the idea of masculinity that so many yeah. men in their formative years were developing. Yeah. Of that it was just, like, totally normal to just objectify women. And it was just about fast cars and hot women and sex and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. it's like... I don't know. I just didn't like the way that that. But again, hindsight 2020, we always evolve. Yeah, and we watch these movies back, I think, with that lens. Like we talked about yeah. with Entrapment a couple weeks ago. Like, yeah, obviously now, like that movie doesn't get made, but you can look back and enjoy the parts of it without having to, like, just be mad at it the entire time. Although I was kind of mad at the entire time. The other point that I wanted to bring up about the Italian job that I thought was very interesting was. Edward Norton is a character in the movie. Yeah. He had a deal with, I think it's Paramount, a three-movie deal with Paramount, which is the studio behind the scenes. Yeah. And he did not want to do this movie did because not. he was the bad guy. Wait, was that? No, that wasn't it. He just I, said he didn't want to do this movie. Well, yeah. I don't remember if it was a part of that, but like watching it back, like, you can kind of tell. And it actually, it actually like, adds to the experience because you're just like... He's just mad the entire time. Yeah, it yeah. is kind of funny. You can tell that he's... Also, I did have an experience of within the first, uh, you know, 10 minutes of that movie being like, Edward Norton? Is yeah, yeah, movie? yeah. Like, they got Edward Norton? Yeah. And I don't know if it's because his career took off after that or or if it was already taking off and he had and already... he had to do that And movie. he already had signed yeah. on to do this deal. And so he's like out doing Fight Club and then people are like, well, how do you go from Fight Club to this? Yeah. I don't know. All right, what's your rating on this? Italian job? Yeah. Mm, I want you to remember... Seven. Seven? Babe, there was nothing in Italy. I know, but it was still a heist movie. It's still movie. enjoyable, still a heist movie. You know movie. I love a heist yeah. movie. You know, like, I like an action movie. Um, I think, this I think is, a seven. I think this is very interesting because just as, like, the stereotypical, like, guy in the relationship, like, you would expect my score to be higher. I think my score is lower than yours in this. Like, I think I'm a six. Well, I had to say seven because also if I had to choose again between watching Equilibrium again or watching Italian Dog again, I'm going to choose Italian Dog. Yeah, yeah. And I would choose Equilibrium, which is kind of funny to think about the flip there. That really freaks me out because you normally hate these, like, slow drama movies. Yeah, but I there's enough that I appreciate about that movie, and Christian Bale's performance is really good, but there's so much that annoys me about Italian Job. Oh, like, I see. Seth Green, like, every line written for Seth oh, Green yeah. in that in Italian Job just frustrates me now. True. Like, I just, like, I'm, it's, it's so cringy and just gross. So, anyway. Uh, that's our classic movie night. Those are our reviews. <laughs> uh, that's where we're wrapping we it up. We get really passionate about it. I would say, w- would either of these have to be a must-watch to you? Oh, no. To completely skip both? Yeah. I think if you're running out of movies, Equilibrium, yes. Yes. Italian Job, probably no. Great. Equilibrium more for the experience than the actual movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's it for this podcast episode. We did it. We didn't, I mean, we didn't really argue throughout it. Yeah. Make sure to let us know how you guys handled your CD organization. (laughs) Yeah. Also, let us know if you think either one of our estimations is wildly <laughs> inaccurate. I think it would be fun to hear what other people's estimations are. If you well, want I to guess let it all know. depends on your time. time. But you could just do it as a percentage. So oh, you'd be sure. like, oh, we've been together for a year. We've had this many. You're like, yeah, we're a 10% or, well, so what did we end up at? 5%? Because oh, 10% would be 4,000, so 5% would be 2,000. 5% feels right. Yeah, I think that's right. That's pretty great. I, I'll take 5%. High five. Okay. All right. Oh, that's your foot. All right, <laughs> bye, everybody. <laughs>